So I live in Naperville, and the Compass Church wants to know that. Friends, today we're going to do a little annual census data gathering for our church. We've got this little uh, form you can fill out. If you're at one of our in-person services, you'll find it in the card in front of you. Would you take a moment to fill that out and help us gain some information? It's got a QR code on it, or for those of you online, there's also a QR code on the screen. Just use your phone electronically or fill out the card physically. But friends, we want to know information. Here's why. We're a family. The Compass Church is not an event people attend, but it's a family that shares life together. Now, we're not going to share this information with any other organization, but it'll help us in leadership know better who we are. So would you help us by taking a moment to fill that out? It's not that hard. I know some people get weirded out by sharing personal information. Friends, I already told you, my name is Jeff Griffin. I live in Naperville. I'm married. I have three kids. I'm 28 years old. How hard is that? Huh? You know, I'm here at an overpass, and often when I see an overpass, it makes me think of something that happened to me years ago, but I'll never forget it. I was officiating a wedding. And I was in the car, not driving on a small street like this, but on an expressway headed to downtown Chicago where the, the wedding was to be held. And I was late and I ran out of gas. You ever run out of gas on the expressway? It was terrible. Just happened to be right by an overpass. I, I turned on my hazards and started going, what am I going to do? When this wonderfully nice gentleman pulled over and said, hey, buddy, you okay? I told him I was out of gas. He said, hey, hop in my car and I'll take you to a gas station to get some more. Uh, just when it looked like there was a disaster comes along this good Samaritan who saved the day. I'm like, I'm going to be okay. He took me to a gas station and I go in to buy one of those red plastic gas cans. They didn't have any. I'm like, what am I going to do? I don't have a gas can. Just when things were looking better, there's a new problem that comes my way. But then I thought of a, a milk container. So I bought a gallon of milk, dumped it out, rinsed it out, and I filled it up with gas. So problem solved. Things are better. My, my friend who saved the day, he wasn't interested in getting back on the expressway. He wanted to stay off and Yet he found a place where a small road passed over the expressway right where my car was at. He's like, buddy, I'll drop you off here. I said, no problem. So I got off above and wouldn't you know, uh, oh, I should probably tell you, it was winter and there was snow covering the steep descent that went from this road going over the expressway. And so in my dress shoes, as I held my uh, milk, gallon of gas and slowly tried to get down the snowbank. Sure enough, I slipped, started skiing for a few feet, went down on my nose and went head over heels rolling down the snow-covered hill to where my car was at. <laughs> oh, what a disaster. But here I was with the gas and my car once again, a little wet, a little rumpled, but still alive. And I thought, we're going to be okay. 
Well, I, I opened up the gas cap and tried to pour it in from the jug, and that didn't work. It just went all over the ground. Turns out there's a little flap inside of there that keeps the gas from going in. The, the nozzle opens that flap, or a funnel would, but I didn't have a, a funnel, so I had a problem once again. I was pretty proud of my ingenious solution. I rolled a piece of paper and made it like a funnel that pushed open that little door, and then I tried to pour the gas into the end of my paper funnel. Didn't work so well, friends. It just ran down my hand and down my arm and was dripping off my elbow. I had gas everywhere. I only got a small portion of what was in that gallon into the tank. But thankfully, it was enough, and my car started up, and I was able to get to a gas station and then able to get to the wedding. But what a disaster. I came to that wedding late, dripping wet, stinking of gas, tile twisted up. <laughs> but the couple was married, and that's what counts. You know, that little story just kind of is a picture of life, is it not? You have one disaster, you feel like it's solved and you're going to be okay, only to see trouble arise again. You're doing better, well, it's like a roller coaster, like whiplash. You're doing better, and then another problem. And then you fix that problem, and another problem. And once again, it improves, only to have a drop off once again. Life is filled with ups and downs. It's a, it's a roller coaster ride. And think about it, Joseph's story uh, is very much of a roller coaster. The ups and the downs just continue. If anybody knew about the rapid succession of repeating problems, it was Joseph. Think about it. Think about what we've learned about his story so far. Joseph started as the favored son to his father, followed by a crash where his brothers hated him so much, in fact, that they thought of killing him, in the end decided to abuse him, by really trafficking him, selling him into slavery. Boom. But then Potiphar, who bought him, made him the head of his estate, and things were looking better. It crashed again when Potiphar's wife accused him falsely of taking advantage of her sexually, and he ends up thrown into prison and crashes once more. Things started to improve in prison, though, when the warden made him the deputy warden, second in command. Joseph's feeling better. And then it crashes again when he's forgotten. When I say he's forgotten, he told the cupbearer, you'll be restored to your position to the king. And when you do, advocate for me. Get me out of here. The cupbearer said he would but he forgot Joseph. He ignored Joseph's plight and left him to languish in the prison for two more years. But then Joseph was called to be the interpreter of Pharaoh's dreams, and he is once again exalted, now this time the second in command of all of Egypt. Up and down and up and down, Joseph knew trouble. And in his experience of the trouble of life, Joseph learned some truth, some lessons about trouble that we must learn ourselves. So let's turn to Genesis chapter 41, verse 45. 
Pharaoh gave Joseph Azanath, daughter of the high priest of On, to be his wife. Wow. You know, here Joseph is living the dream. I mean, he has been freed from slavery, freed from prison, uh, brought into the very inner cabinet of Pharaoh, raised all the way up to being the prime minister of the nation, and now he gets a wife. And not just any wife. It says, Azanath, the, the daughter of the priest of On. On was a city in ancient Egypt that was the spiritual capital of the nation. The, the most important temple was there. And this guy was the head priest. And so he gets to marry the priest's daughter. You know, we call him a PK, a pastor's kid. <laughs> well, Joseph gets to marry the PK, the priest's kid. And I'm just here to tell you that he who gets to marry the pastor's kid is one lucky dude, all right? So lucky Joseph, he's got himself a catch. Verse 50, before the years of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph by Azanath. Uh, Friends, not only does he have a beautiful and wonderful wife, but he's now got two boys, two sons. He is part of a family. Oh, the glory days that have come to our friend Joseph. Can you imagine his joy? Have you ever seen a dad just holding two of his boys whom he loves so much? Such incredible contentment and delight with life can come to a dad experiencing that. Well, as as Joseph's holding his boys, as he's reflective on his life, these two lessons about hardship, about trouble, come to mind. Let's read on. Verse 51. Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh and said, It is because God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. Manasseh, the name of his firstborn, means forget. And so he's got a lesson about hardship embedded in the name of his child. He he explains, he says, God has made me to forget all my trouble, specifically the trouble I had in my father's household. You know, it sounds terrible to say forget my family. But you got to understand what what Joseph is saying, how he's using the word forget. He's not technically coming to a place of no recollection. I mean, he still knows his brothers and his family, but what he's saying is I've I've moved beyond the pain. That's what it means to forget here, is to move beyond, meaning it's in the past and I've healed from it. It's a beautiful reminder that as bad as things are, the the trouble's temporary. In fact, that's the the point I want to make from this first son named Manasseh. Trouble is temporary. Doesn't feel like it at the time. When we're going through trouble, it seems like this is going to be our lot in life forever. But that's not so. All trouble is temporary. There comes a point when it's behind us, when God's brought us out of it, where God's brought healing. And we can honestly say, I have forgotten it, meaning it doesn't have a dominant control of my life anymore. God may ask us to pass through the valley, but he asks us to pass through the valley of hardship. There's light at the end of the tunnel. 
And it's so important to remember that one day we will get through this. And that's what Joseph is celebrating. God's put it in his past. Trouble is temporary. It's interesting. I discovered that a phrase that's old and fairly popular, maybe you've heard it before, this too shall pass, was actually made popular by Abraham Lincoln. He was speaking at the Wisconsin State Fair up in Milwaukee when he revealed that this phrase was one of his mottos for enduring great affliction. This too shall pass. It's a celebration of the temporary nature of trouble. And boy, did Abraham Lincoln go through a lot of it, huh? Can't you imagine him enduring the horrific Civil War, reminding himself, this is terrible, but this too shall pass. This trouble is temporary. Our nation will make it through this, and it'll be in our past at some point. Even the loss of two of his four sons. Abraham Lincoln lost his son Edward at the age of four to cancer. And then while serving as president, he lost his son Willie at the age of 11 to typhoid fever. And when you're in the midst of that agony, can you hear him cry? This too shall pass. I'm going to get beyond this. God is going to heal my broken heart and bring me to a better day. Friends, we, we need to remember this lesson of Manasseh. Forget that all trouble is temporary. Now, I don't want to be oversimplistic. Healing takes time, and sometimes it takes some good Christian counseling, some therapy. But with God's help and with the help of professionals, we too can get out of the, the, the great pain that marks our past. Now, some would say, no, 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 not all trouble ends. I mean, some of it's a chronic pain. Some of it's a condition that will be with us unto death. That's true. But even in death, that trouble will come to an end. There's a beautiful verse in Revelation that describes the healing of heaven. The Apostle John is getting a glimpse into what heaven is like in Revelation 21.4, where it says, God will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. It is true. There is, towards the end of life, some trouble that's going to be with us till the end of, of this physical journey. But how encouraging is this reminder that in heaven, God ends it all. So it is all temporary. In heaven, God will end all present trouble. God will prevent all future trouble. And God will heal all past trouble. When that verse says that he will wipe every tear from our eyes, that's more than just the physical removal of the tear. That is a healing of these hurtful memories. If, if we haven't moved past them in this life, he will help us to in the next. And so the truth remains. Maybe you need to remind yourself of this. Every single trouble in your life today or every piece of trouble you will face in the future, put a stamp on it that says temporary. This is only for a season. And you know, we can get through about anything when we realize it's temporary.
on a lighter note. I remember how my brothers and I used to love getting in a hot tub when we were skiing. You know, we'd like come back from skiing and we'd climb in the hot tub and we used to see snowdrifts right near the hot tub and we'd go jump into the snowdrift in only our bathing suit, which sounds like a deadly combination. And no doubt it stung and it was hard, but you can get through anything when you know that you can hop back in the hot tub real quick. You can endure it if you know this will only be for a season. All trouble is temporary. That's what we get from the name Manasseh. Well, let's turn now to the second name. In Genesis 41, verse 52, it says, The second son he named Ephraim and said, It is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. The name Ephraim means fruitful. And the second lesson that Joseph had learned about trouble is this, that God has this crazy, unique capacity to make us fruitful even in our suffering. Isn't that interesting? Suffering bringing fruit out of it. Good stuff coming out of the bad. This is something God is uniquely capable of doing. Joseph was just reflecting on his own story, going, my, my story is disastrous. I mean, it involves hatred and slavery and false accusation and imprisonment and for being forgotten in prison. And he's like, and yet, it's amazing how God used that sorrow, that suffering, to bring about such fruit. I mean, he was fruitful, well, in bringing about a family. This great story culminated in Joseph holding his boys in his arms, saying, look how fruitful I am. I mean, that's just one uh, visible uh, expression of the fruitfulness Joseph was enjoying. But he would also reflect on how he was fruitful in his character development. Those trials and all trials, if we endure them with the Lord, they have a way of making us deep. The most profound people, people who are profoundly connected to the Lord and have a deep joy in him, tend to be those whose character is forged in the furnace of adversity. Joseph would see that he was fruitful in his career. God used these terrible events like slavery and imprisonment to be avenues by which he would be promoted to high positions in both of those venues. Uh, God was fruitful through Joseph in evangelism. We took a look uh, previously about how Potiphar, the guy who bought him into slavery, was profoundly impacted by Joseph's witness, his example of a godly life. Uh, and then the baker and the cupbearer in prison and then Pharaoh himself. God has used Joseph's suffering to produce much evangelistic fruit in those who didn't know the Lord. And one last one. God has been fruitful in Joseph's suffering by providing rescue. Remember this famine that was predicted through Pharaoh's dream and Joseph's interpretation. That famine was so severe, it would have wiped out the population, at least the majority of Egypt. A great death would have occurred. But because of the dream and because of Joseph's responsibility given by Pharaoh to store the wheat that was accumulated through the seven years of abundance, 
they would be ready for the seven years of famine. And so he's like, wow, a fruitful rescue of a nation of people and actually beyond the nation to the nation surrounding. It was all occurring through Joseph's suffering. So Joseph is just blown away about how God can use suffering towards good and doesn't make the suffering good, but God uses the suffering to produce great results. We find this same principle found in Romans 8.28, where in the New Testament it says, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. In all things, even suffering, God works for the good. He brings fruitfulness out of it, good stuff out of it. Do you see? Here's the truth about trouble that Joseph is conveying with this second son, Ephraim, and his name, Fruitfulness. It's this. Trouble is productive. The first lesson was trouble is temporary. Here, trouble is productive. When in the hands of God, God brings productivity, fruitfulness, out of our awful suffering. It's one of the great encouragements when we go through hard times. We're like, man, I hate this, I hate this, I hate this, but Lord, you have promised in the Old Testament and in the New that you bring good out of the bad. And so I'm looking for it. I'm I'm trusting that that will be true of my suffering as well. Would you please somehow bring good in me, bring good to others through what I'm going through, but find a way to redeem this awful experience and lift my spirit by helping me see how you're using this in beautiful ways. One example that comes to mind is my friend Manny Mill. If you were watching with us over the summer, Manny preached back in July, and what a story Manny has. He, he had so much suffering in his life, suffered under the communist regime living in Cuba, but then got himself into some suffering when eventually he got involved in a bank robbery, was caught and thrown into prison. I mean, this is suffering that's immense. Sometimes, this is fascinating, even when we cause our own suffering, like Manny getting himself in trouble and getting himself thrown in prison, God can still redeem the suffering of our own folly. What did God do in the case of Manny? Well, through his legal trouble, Manny found Jesus Christ. And through connecting with prisoners for his time in jail or in the prison system, Manny developed a passion and a calling to do prison ministry. And today, Manny operates Koinonia House, this ministry that reaches into the prisons and spiritually cares for those there, as well as ministering to ex-cons, those who have come out of prison and are trying to find newness of life after their years of confinement. This vantage point to minister to prisoners is Manny's because he's been there. Another way of saying it is God took this awful suffering and has redeemed it and provided a chance for Manny to uniquely minister to people who are going through what he went through. Do you see that? And friends, it's true for each one of us. So many, when we look at our suffering, we can see that sometimes people are saved as a result. Sometimes we can connect with people in a unique way because they're going through what we went through. 
There's so many ways that God creatively redeems and brings fruitfulness out of our suffering. Joseph was astounded. He's like, ah, suffering's awful. And his life, you know, teaches us a lot about suffering. But Joseph says, be encouraged by my two boys, would you? Be encouraged by the two lessons I've learned about suffering that I will convey through their names. Through Manasseh, which means forget that trouble is temporary. As bad as it is, you're, you're passing through. This too shall pass. It will be over. And we can endure anything with God's help if we know there's light at the end of the tunnel. And Joseph would remind us of his second son, Ephraim, which means fruitful, that God has this way of bringing fruitfulness out of our suffering. He did it with Joseph, and he will do it with us. Friends, I want to pray for all of us that are suffering. And as a pastor of a big church, I am painfully aware that so many of you are in great agony, even presently whether it be financial related or health related or relationally related or, or something else, we have a lot of people in pain. And those who aren't in pain, just a matter of time. Pain's a norm on planet Earth. But God has great compassion and love for all hurting people. Psalm 34 verse 18 says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted, and he rescues those who are crushed in spirit, confident of God's great love for you and compassion for your suffering, it's my honor to pray that these good lessons Joseph teaches us about trouble will bring you great hope and encouragement in the midst of your own. Let's pray, shall we? God, I thank you so much for each person in this church. My heart, just feels a tinge of your great love for them. And so God, because you love them so much, I pray for them that you would come to their aid and that you by your spirit would whisper in their ear, even today, that this trouble they're in, it's temporary. It will be gone. And that this trouble can be fruitful, that you want to bring beautiful kingdom advance that redeems their awful suffering. God, would you take these truths and lift my friends' hearts. May they be encouraged and strengthened in you. Thank you, Lord. You know, it's true. We can go through any valley of suffering if we know you're by our side and that you're leading us through. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.